Pastor Javen continues the series in it, not of it today. We are going into Daniel chapter 4, where we'll see the danger of pride in our life. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I don't know if you can think back to this, remember this, some of you are in these days now, but I remember when I was in school, some of the best days when you were in school were the days when you went out of the classroom, right? It was those days when you went out of the classroom and you got to learn hands-on uh, and uh, maybe just outside or the best was field trips, right? When you got to go on those field trips and you learned doing something else. And as a parent, especially when my kids were younger, I would love to go on field trips with my kids as a chaperone. Maybe some of you parents have done that. And, and my kids told me about a field trip they were going to be going on one year. It was their fifth grade year, I believe it was. They were in Seagull. And the Seagull class was going to Carowinds for a field trip because they were learning about physics. And so they were learning about the physics of roller coasters. I love roller coasters. So I said, I want to go on this field trip. This sounds like an awesome field trip to go on in a chaperone. Well, we can't control the weather, right? Uh, so we left that day in rain. We got to Carowinds. It was raining. It rained pretty much the majority of the day. And it wasn't just raining. It was cold. And if you know kids, kids aren't phased by anything. So they wanted to go and still ride everything they could possibly ride, even though it was raining. And they were still running the rides. Thank you, Carowinds. Because it wasn't storming. It was just raining. So I'm a chaperone. I have to get on the rides with the kids because the kids want to ride. And it's all about the kids, right? So we, so we go and, and I'm on these rides. I'm getting pelted in the face with cold rain. As the day goes on, my rain jacket is not working. It is soaked through. I'm soaking wet. I end up buying an overpriced hoodie that's way too big because they didn't have my size. I go to eat with the kids and they're like, oh, I'm having having fun. This is great. No, you're not. You're freezing. Stop. Just stop it. Right? But no, I mean, so, so I learned something valuable that day. Field trips are fun, but depending on circumstances and consequences, some things are better just learned in the classroom, right? There's some things... We'd rather just learn them there. We're, we're jumping into Daniel chapter four today. We're still in, uh, in our series in it, not of it, where we looking, we're looking at living a life of faith in a world that may seem uh, faithless. If you missed anything over these last three weeks, I encourage you to go back. You can watch, you can listen online. Daniel chapter one through three is what we've been in. But in Daniel chapter four, we're going to see where King Nebuchadnezzar goes on a trip so to speak, that he probably wishes he would have never had to go on. And if we're smart, we'll learn from Nebuchadnezzar's trip and we'll avoid that trip in our life. Now, just to recap where Nebuchadnezzar is and kind of what he's done and the picture that he's given us of his life. Daniel chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He goes in, he conquers Judah. God gives him this win over his people. He takes them captive. Now, one thing that we notice in in Daniel chapter one is Nebuchadnezzar goes into the temple of God. He takes all the artifacts, all God's holy artifacts out of the temple. And he takes them back to the temple of his gods. And he puts them in the temple of his gods. It's important to remember that for not next week, but the week after next. All right. When we go into Daniel chapter five, but 
Uh, but he, so he takes these as if to say, my God is greater. So he puts these holy artifacts in there. But we see that God has allowed his people to go into Babylon because he has called them to be there to pray for and work for the peace and the prosperity of the land in which they live. And so they are there. We called them bees in Babylon, right? Because they're there to work and help those things around them flourish. So then we go into Daniel chapter two, where we see that Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. He tries to get his wise men, his magicians and his sorcerers to interpret this dream for them. Doesn't tell them the dream, expects them to tell him the dream back and interpret it. They can't do it. So he wants to play God and take their life. But Daniel steps up and he says, give me time to pray to my God. And he prays to his God. God gives him the interpretation. I want us to look at Nebuchadnezzar's words to Daniel after this happens. This is in Daniel chapter two. He says this to him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God, notice that your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Remember I told you last week, Babylon was a pluralistic society. They worshiped many gods, multiple gods. So when we went into Nebuchadnezzar or in Daniel chapter three, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has taken now this dream and he has built himself a statue made completely of gold from head to toe, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. He calls all the government officials together. He says, you need to worship this image that I have put in place. This is what we are going to worship. And so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to do this. We see that they have a bold, humble faith that stands to Nebuchadnezzar in this regard. They have a faith that says they believe God can. They believe God will. But do you remember this part? They believe God even if he doesn't deliver them the way they hope he will deliver them. They had a huge faith. Now, Nebuchadnezzar gets mad at this. He throws them into a fire. But when he looks into the fire, he doesn't just see the three. He sees a fourth and someone that looks like the son of a God. And then they come out of the fire unscathed, not even smelling like smoke, which is amazing. And, uh, and so they come out and then Nebuchadnezzar looks at Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he tells them this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not him. Praise God, just praise to the God of. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command. They were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. So you've got these small seeds of God's authority and power being revealed along the way for Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar seems to be having a hard time getting it. Because we would, it, it, it seems to be that Nebuchadnezzar has what many would call a God complex. Now, that's a pretty strong uh, thing to say about someone, to say that they have a God complex. And we would never fall under that category of being someone that has a God complex, right? Let me ask you a question, a couple of questions, just to get us thinking, okay? Let me ask you this question first, just to think about it. How often... Do the decisions that we make in our life seem to say to God, I know better than you? So we we read the scripture, we see the things that God teaches us, but there's some things that we choose to obey, we choose not to obey. Are we not saying in that moment, I might know better than God? Let me ask this, how often are we unwilling to relinquish control in our life? And and let let me ask that question this way. Do you ever worry about anything? 
Do you ever get anxious about anything? And someone say, well, I don't, I don't exhibit a lot of worry. I don't exhibit a lot of anxiousness. Well, sometimes there's been times before that my body has revealed to me that I'm stressed and I didn't even realize I was stressed, right? But you, re- you understand that when you worry, when you're anxious, when you're stressed, the reason you're that way is because you're losing control of what you want to have control over, right? So there's a lot of things in our life where we, we want life on our terms, and we say, if, if the script's not being written in our life, like we wish it were being written, we want to take the sovereignty out of God's hands and we want to start writing the script. And you say, well, Javen, if you knew my life and you knew the things you've, that I've faced and I've been through, you would understand why I wish the script wouldn't have been written the way it was written. And you're probably right. I've heard some stories that I'm like, man, that is horrible that your life has had to go through that. And where I may not be able to relate to every story, there are things in my life where if I were to look back, I would say, why God did the script have to be written that way? I wonder why my brother in his early 20s who loved God, who traveled with a band and led worship and and, and led people to Christ through his ministry that God allowed him to do because he was working a job just to provide for himself got up early one morning on his way to work and died in a car accident. Why did the script have to be written that way? I wonder why my dad who worked so hard all through his life to provide for his family in a way that, so his family would have more than he had growing up, would feel more blessed in their life than than he felt in in his life. And, And he worked just hard, just, and he faithfully served God. In so many ways, loved God. And the job that he has, he was working just honestly without any knowledge that in the air was a substance that every year was filling his lungs. That would eventually give him cancer and take his life. Three months after my youngest son was born. Why would the story be written that way? I don't know. But it's in those moments when stories are being written in a way that if we had sovereignty over the story, we would write it differently. It's in those moments where we've got to stand like Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and say, God, I trust you even if the story is not being written the way that I would write it. So in Daniel chapter four, we're coming across this place where we're seeing God, Nebuchadnezzar, what appears to be God complex. We see it come head to head with God himself. And there's three things I want you to notice as we look at this scripture. All right. There's three things I want you to notice. One is this, that, 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 that human empires can be built. Human empires can be built, but only God's kingdom will last forever. So listen, we're all building something in our life. So the question we have to life, ask while we're building these things in life is, and what is what I'm building lining up with God's purposes? And really, am I allowing God to direct what I'm building? Another thing that I want us to notice and I want us to pick up on is man has a role in life. And sometimes that role may be a role of authority, but there's only one who is most high and who is sovereign overall. You go back to the series we did last. God owns it all. He blesses us with everything we have, and then he trusts us to steward what he's 
given us. And that includes our role in this life. And then thirdly, the way we tell our story matters. The way you tell your story in this life, you have a story and the way you tell it matters. You can tell your story to get credit for yourself or you can tell the story to bring glory to God. You can tell your story and say, woe is me, why God? Or you can tell your story and say, I trust God through it all. So the way we tell our story matters. So we're going to jump into Daniel chapter four. So you can go, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me, go with me. Let's follow along together as we look at this this morning. Daniel chapter four, start at verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the known world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how powerful His wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. Okay, so pause. Wait a minute. Who sent this message? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sent this message and look at what he's saying. This seems to be totally different than than what we've heard him proclaim in the situations in Daniel 1, Daniel 2, and Daniel 3. And so this chapter, what we're reading here in the book of Daniel in God's word is a chapter not being written by Moses, not being written by David, not being written by Solomon, not being written by Daniel, not being written by a prophet. It's being written by a pagan king. So this must be a powerful story for us to hear. It's Nebuchadnezzar's story. So let's see what he has to say and what got him to the point that he just referenced in verses two and three. So let's jump to verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in a palace, in my palace, in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. Now listen, nobody, nobody could conquer Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody could get to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had no reason to fear anybody. Nobody could get to Nebuchadnezzar but God. And this is the second time that we have seen God get to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. See, if God wants to speak to someone, he can speak to somebody. God's not hindered. He's not limited. If he wants to get his message through to someone, he will. So we can't question that. We can't doubt that. So Nebuchadnezzar goes on in this passage of Daniel chapter four, and he explains this dream that he had to Daniel because he understands Daniel can interpret dreams. So he explains this dream that he had to Daniel. He tells Daniel, Daniel, I had this dream. There was this huge, large tree and the tree was so big, it was reaching up to the heavens and the branches were spread all out. And, and in the branches, there were, there were birds in, in, uh, from all over nesting in these branches. And there were wild animals from all over being covered by the shade of this tree. But then all of a sudden, this messenger comes down from the heavens and he commands that the tree be cut down. And that the branches from the tree and all the fruit that gets scattered from it to be, to, to be put away. 
and for all the wild animals to be chased off. But he said, let's leave the stump. And I want us to see what the messenger said to Nebuchadnezzar. It's in verse 17. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones. So that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. In other words, man has a role in this world. Sometimes it's one of authority, but there's only one who is most high and sovereign. And also what we see this messenger saying is, look, God's in charge of who's in charge. If you go back to the words of the prophet Isaiah, when he's prophesying about Babylon conquering Judah. Isaiah prophesied about it as well. In Isaiah 40 verse 15, look at what he says about the nations. He said, all nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. As the children's song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. And then there's a very interesting passage I want us to take the time to look at this morning. Because when we read this passage from the book of Acts, in mind with what we're seeing from Daniel, we read this this speech from Paul a little bit differently. In, in, uh, In the book of Acts, we see where Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, goes to Athens, Greece. And he's walking around this town and he's speaking and they invite him back to the council. If you know anything about history, you know there's a lot of philosophers in Greece. A lot of great minds in Greece. And so they invite Paul to come to their council to speak to them. But this is also a pluralistic society. This is also a people and a group of people that would have statues to gods all throughout their kingdom. This is also a kingdom that at one time was a great kingdom and empire before Paul. We're going to reference this in a couple of weeks. It was spoken of in God's vision and dream that he gave Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to see it again in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8. After Babylon, after King Nebuchadnezzar, after Belshazzar, comes the Medes and the Persians, and they take over from Babylon. After the Medes and the Persians come the Greeks and Greece under the leadership of Alexander the Great. They take over from the Medes and the Persians. After that comes Rome, and Rome... uh, reigns as the empire and a large, powerful empire. And they took it from the Greeks. So Paul is in Greece and he's speaking to this kingdom. I want us to hear what he tells them as he speaks and as he preaches this, this powerful message. It's such a encouragement to us on how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to others. And he says this, Acts Acts chapter 17, verse 22 He says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. In other words, you have gods that you worship. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. So in other words, somewhere along the way, Greece had recognized that there is this God that they don't know. And Paul is saying, and I'll tell you an interesting story that I read from a historian here recently when we talk about this. But so Paul begins to tell, I know that God. (laughs) 
Look at what he says. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. He has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. And listen to this. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. Listen to what he tells this nation who once rose and then fell. He says, he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. So Greece, every authority you had, when you had it, God gave it to you. And when you lost it, God took it from you. And the boundaries that you have right now, God established those. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. That statement from Paul puts this picture of Daniel chapter one through four in such a different perspective. God is allowing the people of Babylon in there because he wants Nebuchadnezzar to find him. He wants him to realize who the true God is. For in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone like all these idols you have placed all throughout the land. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who that is by raising him from the dead. So Jesus, so Paul tells them this God that you don't know personified himself in Jesus Christ. The one that you've heard talk about being risen from the dead, but he told them God establishes the nations and he determines when they'll rise and fall. And then look at what Paul wrote to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 13, verse one. Everyone must submit to governing authorities and understand this. When he wrote this to the church in Rome, the leadership of Rome was not a leadership for the people by the people. We get that, right? Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authorities come. All authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. God is in charge of who is in charge. And we think God only wins when the person we voted for wins. God is in charge of who is in charge. We have to believe that. There's only one who is sovereign and over all. God reigns throughout history. And his redemptive plan will go according to his purposes. So Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to interpret it. Watch Daniel in verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. And then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Wow. Daniel, a captive to King Nebuchadnezzar, has somewhere along the way seemed to grow a love for this dictator, this ruthless dictator. I don't think Daniel admired everything that Nebuchadnezzar did. 
I don't think Daniel would have approved of everything Nebuchadnezzar did. But Daniel sure must have had a love for Nebuchadnezzar. And he wanted this king to come to know the God that Daniel knew. That's convicting. Can you look at your life and say that you have that same type of love for those in your world and in your life who are antagonistic towards your faith? Man, that's that's some kind of heart that Daniel has. So Daniel begins to interpret the dream. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're this tree. Just like you were the, the, the statue, you had a semblance in the statue. You're the tree, king. And that tree is going to be cut down. And look at what he says. Start at verse 24. This is what the dream means. Your majesty, what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the king. You'll be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world and gives to them anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you've learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that gives decrees. He's the one that gives declarations. But now a decree is being given to him. And Daniel tries to offer Nebuchadnezzar some advice. We're going to come back to that as we close. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't seem to heed this advice. And so we go into verses 28 to 33 to see what happens a year later to Nebuchadnezzar. The, the, the writing seems to change who's writing this. And I can only assume that it goes back to Daniel writing this because in this phase and in this time, we're going to see the king is out of his mind. So Daniel chapter 4 verse 29. All these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power have I built this beautiful city as my royal residence to my display, my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, This message is for you. You are no longer ruler of the kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals. And you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass uh, while you live this way. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. And gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour. The judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Believe it or not, there's actually a classified name for this. It's called boanthropy. It's a mental disorder. Very rare, but people who have it, victims of it, believe that they are a cow. Now, this is not to say or to imply that every mental illness that comes in this life is a punishment from God. In fact, John, or in, in the Gospel of John, we see where Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man and they ask, who caused this man to be blind? Was it himself, his sin, or his parents? And Jesus, none, neither. 
So that's not what this is saying. But for Nebuchadnezzar, this is a punishment. But this isn't just about Nebuchadnezzar. Because what Nebuchadnezzar had was pride. And this is what pride does to all of us. It causes us to lose our minds. Pride gives us this false sense of control. And it's momentary insanity. See, pride produces this fruit in us. It produces a fruit that makes us feel superior. We just want to compare ourselves to others only to make ourselves look greater. We have this unhealthy desire to compete only to show ourselves greater than others. It gives us this fruit of criticalness in other people's lives. We become bitter, judgmental, harsh toward others. others. It produces this fruit in us of ingratitude, of entitlement, of stinginess. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said himself, he was sitting in his palace comfortable and he was ignoring the needs of those in his kingdom. Daniel's advice included, King, help those people in need. Daniel was preaching the words of Jesus before Jesus ever walked the earth because he knew the heart of God and it was to love others. Pride produces in us this unhealthy feeling of self-accomplishment where we feel like everything we do in this life, we've earned it, we made it, we're self-made. Did you really have control over everything in your life? When we think we are completely self-made, we disregard the sovereignty of God. Pride produces a lot of fruit in us, but we have to deal with the root of pride more than the fruit. And the root is, it comes from this place in our heart that we don't understand that the blessings we have in our life, everything we accomplish, we accomplish because God blessed us to accomplish it. And we don't understand that those blessings come from God. It's a root in our heart that thinks that the ultimate goal in our life is success or our own personal throne. But see, pride and humility both speak, but they say different things. Daniel is a picture of humility, constantly giving glory to God. Nebuchadnezzar was a picture of pride who thought it was all in his hands. He built this majestic kingdom. He built this great thing. They're bricks. They, the archaeologists have found bricks that, that had Nebuch- inscriptions showing Nebuchadnezzar's name. The British Museum has one in its museum. I have a picture of that. Throw that on the screen. That's a brick that they found from Babylon. And that inscription might be a little hard to see, but it's in a square, the rectangle there in the middle of that brick. The inscription in it is talking. It has Nebuchadnezzar's name on it and who he's building this kingdom for. His kingdom was amazing. And he looks out over and he says, I did this. And I wonder, I wonder, was Nebuchadnezzar, had he heard the words of the prophet Jeremiah who had spoke? See, the prophet Jeremiah was spoke about the, the conquering of Judah by Babylon. And while he's making this prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 32, He makes these words. I believe it's Jeremiah 32. Can you throw those up on the screen for me, Thomas? He says, Jeremiah makes these words and he says, O sovereign God, you have made the earth by your outstretched hand. God, you created the world. 
I wonder, did Nebuchadnezzar know those words? And when he stood up on that rooftop and he looked out over it and he said, look at the world that I have built. I have made this kingdom by my mighty hand. But we've got to do what Daniel tried to get Nebuchadnezzar to do. What James, the brother of Jesus told us to do. What Peter told us to do in his letter. And that is to humble ourselves and let God exalt us. Look back again at Daniel's words to Nebuchadnezzar. In verse, go, go to Daniel four twenty-seven again, please. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps you'll continue to prosper. Daniel is witnessing to Nebuchadnezzar. He's preaching the gospel to him. King, stop sinning. Move away from your wicked life. And love others. And then maybe, maybe, none of this will happen and you'll keep your kingdom. What Daniel's saying is we don't come to God just so we can make everything work out for us. We come to God because he's our only hope. And Nebuchadnezzar appears to have done that. Because you remember the words, the beginning of Daniel chapter 4. And we saw the praise coming from Nebuchadnezzar. Look again at the end of Daniel 4, verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. Not Daniel's God. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. And he is able to humble the proud. It all begins, this chapter begins and ends with praise and worship. Listen, worship is what we give God. The word is what he gives us. There has to be both. Don't just take from God without giving your worship in return. That's selfish. And don't just give to God without receiving his word. Because then you're just giving empty flattery. Jesus told us that our praise is more than just mouthing. He says it's possible for us to honor him with our lips, but our hearts be far from him. It's all about our heart. And Nebuchadnezzar seems to have had a transformed heart. And how did it happen? Because God put a humble man in his presence who served faithfully and shared the goodness of God. 
You don't know what that can do. That's why that opening text we read, that's why we clothe ourselves the way we do every day. And you understand, you don't clothe yourself every day on accident. Sometimes we look at people and we think that must have been an accident, but no. You clothe yourself on purpose. You choose what you wear. Maybe, maybe your spouse picks your clothes out for you. I don't know. But a purpose is being done. And you're choosing what you put on. As we wrap up, I want to tell you this story real quick. This young man, his name is Adonis. He passed away this year, a student of Lugolf Elgin High School. He was a precious young man in their special needs class. And the student body loved Adonis. But his mom told his teachers, a friend of mine that I graduated high school with, he told her that every night before he went to bed, he told his mom what he wanted to wear the next day. Most of the time it was a t-shirt. It was either a t-shirt of Prince or Michael Jackson, or it was a t-shirt that had some funny saying on it. Two of my favorites was one that said, y'all need Jesus. And another one that said, y'all crazy. But the night before he passed, he passed in his sleep. His mom went in his room and she said, Adonis, what do you want to wear tomorrow? And Vaughn said that his mom told her, told, her, told her that night, Mom, I want to dress like a man tomorrow. Which for Adonis meant he wanted to wear khakis and a button-up shirt. How Adonis clothed himself each day mattered. Folks, the way we clothe ourselves every day matters. We have to choose every day to clothe ourselves with kindness, with humility, with grace, with love. Because you never know, God may have you in a place where your faithful acts and the way you clothe yourself and the gospel you share with your life may just be transforming a heart that appears to be as cold and dark as any heart you've ever seen. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray today that your word would challenge us. As we close out this moment with just a time of worship, just reflect. And maybe in this brief moment, maybe you need to come down and kneel in the presence of God. Or maybe you you want to do it at your seat. But just worship and reflect on the fact that God is the one who is sovereign and who is most high. God, I want you to write my story. I want you to build my life. I want you to get the glory. And I want my life to be a life that draws others to him. In Jesus' name. 
If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.